If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on any of our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Live on Four Legs Podcast and on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossett. Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and as we are winding down and wrapping up Wrigley Month, we bring to you another special episode that we've been releasing on every Tuesday. We've been doing some interviews, and uh, we've interviewed some really great guests, some guests that have been in the industry for a while, and uh, you know, some guests that are are, well-known in Pearl Jam lore, and now I think with... Even with all of those guests out of the way, I think we have come to my favorite guests, and that are you guys, the fans. We've been asking for your stories for well over a month now, getting your experiences and getting to just see from your perspective how this Wrigley, these Wrigley shows shaped up for you. And we have a lot of great stories to t- talk to you about today. Randy Sobel here, John Farrar over there. Hello. And John... Uh, yeah, let's let's get to them. I'm pretty excited about this. Talk about all all these stories. Look, there's not a bad one in the bunch. Yeah, I mean, we we weren't really sure what we were going to get. Like we we put it out there for for people to send in their stories, and they just started pouring in. Man, we got a we got a lot of them up front. They were great. People got really into it. We you know we put it out on social media, and people really responded. So yeah, just thank you so much. You know, to everyone who sent it in. Hope hope we can do it justice. Absolutely. Yeah, we are around 40 stories or so, which is a lot. So look, everybody that is sent sent in to us, we're going to get to it at some point. So, you know, whether you're within the first couple or you're way later in the episode, you should expect it. And we're going to try our best to kind of separate them through the years. So we'll start out with the 2013 stories, and then we'll go to the 2016 stories, 2018, and then we'll do ones near the end that are featuring all of the shows. So if if you're curious and you just want to hear uh, us recite your story, that's around where it will lie in this episode. So 
without further ado, I think we should uh, we should get started. And you know, a couple of these at the beginning are going to be 2013 stories. But actually, this one that we're going to tell first, I, I really like the story, and it's it's half 2013, half 2016. So uh, we'll just get right to it. This is from Rhiannon Smith, and uh, this is the part one of this story. I've been lucky enough to been able to witness Pearl Jam at Wrigley Field twice. Unfortunately, one of those times was a hearing rather than a seeing situation, as my brother and I missed out on tickets. So we listened from the outside with hundreds of other fans who were left in the same situation. We are Australian, and my brother and I had planned our trip well before PJ announced the show. So once I heard about it, I knew I had to shuffle a few things around to make sure that we were in Chicago the same weekend of the show. It was absolutely boiling hot that day. We went down to Wrigleyville and got to witness the incredible madness. It was like a mini festival. I absolutely was in love with the place and seeing so many dedicated Pearl Jam fans in one area celebrating their music, but I was also devastated that I wasn't going to be able to witness it firsthand. We got our spot on the outside, meeting many fellow fans and chatting away while waiting for them to come on. Then an 8 p.m. hit, you heard the cheers and Eddie's good evening, everyone. The outside erupted in cheer. We could hear the show as clear as day, and it was great. Calling my mate Tyson, who is the biggest fan I know, so he can listen to it, he even agreed that you can hear it nice and clear. Then the storms came, and it came hard. We ducked for shelter, and we waited what seemed like forever for them to come back. A lot of people had cleared out by then, but we stuck around, only to find out later that people were selling their tickets at half price because they didn't want to go back in. I didn't realize that you could do a thing like that, but interesting. But overall, I had a great time, and I was glad that I was a part of that moment in PJ history, even if it was from the wrong side of the gates. That, however, changed in 2016. Part 2. My best mate Tyson and I were traveling across America in the summer of 2016. Luckily, PJ announced the tour earlier that year. Tyson, being a 10 Club member since day one, immediately entered for tickets and scored us tickets to night two at Wrigley Field in, in August of 2016. So once again, I moved things around to make sure that I was in Chicago for those dates. I was flying in from Albuquerque and Tyson was coming in from somewhere else. As I was getting in earlier in the morning of the 21st, the day after the first show, the day before the second, I said I would line up for merchandise after I dropped luggage off at the Airbnb and meet Tyson in line once he had arrived and did the same. Unfortunately, when I got to Albuquerque Airport at 4.30 a.m., my flight had been canceled and they put me on to 6.30 p.m. the following evening. I said, hell no, I'm going to be seeing Pearl Jam then. So... They said they were no, there were no flights, so I had to run around the airport frantically asking all airlines if there were any flights available to Chicago. I needed to get there ASAP, and I felt like I was on the amazing race. Now, you were probably wondering why I needed to get there urgently when the show was the next night. Well, all PJ fans know that the merchandise, in particular the posters, are always the first to sell out. And once they're gone, they are gone, which is very true. So I needed to get there as soon as I could. So I finally found an airline that had one seat left for the small fee of $380 USD. That's over $500 in Australian dollars in one and only for a one-way ticket. I nearly died, but had no choice. After finally arriving in Chicago, after the flight leaving late and the Uber share taking forever to get to Wrigley, 
Rookie mistake on my part for taking Nubrashare when I was in a hurry. I got to the merchandise stand and, and lined up in the heat with all my luggage. Fellow fans in line were impressed with my efforts to bring all my luggage. A short two and a half hour wait in line, Tyson joined me along the way. We stocked up on a bundle, a bundle load of merchandise. For the record, one of the posters we wanted was sold out and went to the Airbnb, dropped off our luggage, and went for a much-needed beer or two, where we had the honor of meeting a, f- a fellow Pearl Jamian, Jeremy, who was from Canada. We all hit it off and met, up, uh, and met up again before and after the concert the following night, and we are still friends to this day, planning to meet up at another PJ concert, hopefully not in the not-too-distant future. The day of the concert was a million times better than the 2013 experience because I knew I was going to be on the inside. Tyson and I couldn't contain our excitement all day. We woke up super early, got ready and headed out. So many PJ fans around, everyone smiling and buzzing with excitement. We spent the rest of the afternoon at a bar that was holding the Wishlist Foundation auctions. Great, it was a great afternoon listening to Pearl Jam tracks and meeting fellow fans from all over the world. We finally got on the inside and we felt numb. We were actually inside the field about to see our favorite band. What a show it was. Absolutely incredible from beginning to end. We met up with Jeremy after Murphy's Bleachers, just chatting away and sharing our thoughts on what we just witnessed, still on a high before the sadness sunk in that it was all over. We even got to see Dennis Rodman walk past. It was such an incredible time and we are so lucky that we can revisit whatever we'd like to thanks to the Let's Play 2 DVD. Thanks for the opportunity to share our stories. It was nice to go back down memory, memory lane. Kind regards, Rhiannon Smith from Melbourne, Australia. Thank you, Rhiannon. That was a great way to, to kick this all off. Yeah, and went a long way. That that's quite a trip to go from Australia to Chicago. Yeah, I'm glad it was worth it for him. Yeah, especially too. yeah, especially the first time where you went without a ticket and you're pretty much yeah. sacrificing your whole entire trip, uh, and and you you might not get anything. And and luckily enough, the sound was good. That you know, that's something that we talked to Bob Krause about. He could walk out his door and he was able to hear the sound from all the concerts pretty well. So. You know that's great that you get that, and uh, any experience is a good experience in, in my eyes. So even though they weren't there to actually see the band, that that's still renders pretty special flying across the world to do that. So uh, why don't you give the next one a go, John? Yeah, I think uh, not having a ticket is going to be a theme in this one too. We've got a, a note here from Patrick Glacken who sent in a, a story here. He says, "Thought I would drop a quick line about this show." One of the most amazing times. Uh, Went with my wife. It was our wedding anniversary and my wife's birthday. Of course, we are going to Pearl Jam at Wrigley. I'm a lifelong Cubs fan, and Wrigley's very special to me. We lost in the lottery and were in a panic for a while. We had booked a hotel in downtown and had everything planned except for tickets. Never have I gone without tickets. We hung around uh, Wrigley the whole day before and the day of the show. My wife, more the talker, Uh, than me, made friends with an older scalper. We basically hung out by the ticket window for two days, going to the wishlist party and making some great friends. One of the younger guys we met was from Pittsburgh and by himself. Finally, on the day of the show, someone gave him a ticket. We were so happy for him. The the older scalper told my wife, don't worry, they always drop tickets day of the show. I was nervous because there was no way I was missing this show. We were at the will call window waiting and pleading with the gods to drop some tickets. Finally, the old man says, get in line. I nod to my wife and grab the people we met. Finally, tickets drop. 
A mad dash of people, well, can you imagine? Yeah. I'm praying that they don't run out before I get up there. I get up there and I say, best available. Holy shit, Floor J. I still can't describe the euphoria of getting those ticks. $80. Unreal. Inside, we are both in awe. The guy next to us brags about how he paid $1,500 for his tickets, and all I can do is take a hit and smile. Uh, couldn't We couldn't get a cab after the show. Uh, my wife could not go in anymore, so we just sat on a curb until someone could pick us up. We realized, wow, we are getting old. Uh, we got back to our hotel at 6 a.m., but we would do it all over again. Thanks, Patrick. That, that was yes. fantastic. Well, quite an experience. I can't imagine that mad dash when they finally released those tickets day of. That must have been crazy. You, <laughs> yeah. did the, the adrenaline's flowing. You're just hoping you can get in. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, I, that's, that's again, gutsy to, to go and, and, you know, just see, see what you can get. And, and you, you're taking that chance. You might not get anything at all. And, uh, you got really lucky and I, it's kind of funny that he found himself next to the guy that paid $1,500. And I've been next to people like that at shows that have kind of nudged me and be like, hey, I spent this much for a ticket. And I'm like, all right, man, that's great. That's fantastic when yeah, you kind of know it yourself. You. Sure. Exactly. So fantastic. Glad you got to the show and glad you got that experience. Uh, next story that we're telling is from Brian Luneman. I drove up to Chicago from St. Louis to attend the Wrigley Field Show with a friend I saw the 1995 Soldier Field Show with. He's a 10-club member and had GA tickets on the front of the stage. Hotter than shit that day. We're both old men, so we chose a spot against the railing on Stone's side instead of jostling for position near the stage. We're still ridiculously close, and it was a surprising lack of people in GA. First several songs were stellar. Never expected hold on and was awesome to hear. Then the announcement was made that we had to evacuate the field because of the impending storm. I get claustrophobic and there was no way that I was going to pile inside with so many people. I noticed that the VIP doorway in center field ivy wasn't guarded. So we hopped the rope fence and dashed into there. There was a caged area just inside the door where about 12 to 15 of us hung out comfortably. We had such a great time meeting people that we really weren't bummed that there was a delay. We were chatting with some people when we just met this guy randomly comes up to me and says, this girl took my wallet to go get beer and gave me this in exchange. I don't know where she is or what to do. This was an all access pass. Right across the hallway from, from the cage, there was a sign on the door that read, Ban dressing room. I pointed the sign out to the guy and said, you can go wherever you want with that. You should go in there. The band might be in there. So his eyes lit up as he clearly hadn't considered that and really could go wherever he wanted with it. He turned, walked to the door, opened it, and disappeared inside, and that was the last I saw of him. A few minutes later, a guy started mouthing off to security, so we all got kicked out of the cage. My friend went to grab beers at the VIP bar, and I noticed Steve Gleason wearing a weather radar on his monitor attached to his wheelchair. I said, hi, Steve. Pleasure to meet you. If you don't mind, I'm going to look over your shoulder at the weather. A minute or two later, my friend arrived and insisted he had to pee. Unfortunately, the only bathrooms were outside of the VIP area, and we didn't have passes to get back in. Can't argue against having to pee, so we left VIP, and I waited by the VIP gate while he went to the bathroom. I started talking to the guard and asked if he knew when we might back, uh, when we might go back onto the field. He said, no, but the director of Wrigley operations is right there. You can ask him. 
I noticed he was talking to Ed's security guy, and I think Kelly Curtis. I inched over nonchalantly to eavesdrop and overheard them discussing letting us back onto the field in five minutes. Just then, my friend walked out, so I grabbed him, and I rushed over to the entrance back onto the field. Everyone else was either sitting around or milling about, so we were able to be the first in line. Less than a minute after we got to the entrance, there was an announcement that we would be returning to the field in just a moment. People got up and lined up behind us. Security told us to go ahead. My friend and I were the first two out of the center field wall, and the crowd still in the stands fucking erupted. It was like we were members of the world's biggest band taking the stage. We both got chills. We got back to our original space in GA. Show resumed and was amazeballs. Crown of Thorns and Mother were the highlights for me. I'm originally from Chicago, and it was surreal to pile out into Wrigley Field into Wrigleyville after an event at 2 a.m. and have there be no cabs, no bars open, no nothing. We went to the closest train station, but my claustrophobia started to get to me, and trains didn't seem to be running at the time. So we left and walked four miles back to our hotel. I took a cold shower, then flopped on my back in bed and stared at the ceiling while my ears rang. Slept for three hours, got breakfast at a nice little diner conveniently next to the hotel, then caught a train back to my truck in the suburbs while my friend stayed to see another band that night. It was the first time I'd seen Pearl Jam since the VFC show in St. Louis in 2004, and I moved to Alaska a year after the show and have been petitioning to get the band to play up here since. And that's my 2013 Wrigley story. So, yeah, cool perspective from there. Like, you know, it's kind of... In, in that situation, you really don't know what to do. And, and unfortunately for him, it all had to come based off of, uh, a, a, you know, a phobia, a fear. And, you know, to, to sort of, you know, find a way to, to avoid that, they were able to get in. And I don't think a lot of people would usually do that on a normal occasion. So good good for him and, and his friend to, to get in there. That was kind of fun. Yeah, and I think we're 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 getting a theme here. And when we talked to to Chris, who was our our guest, one of the other legs here, he talked about kind of the hard time that he had afterwards, you know, getting back. And you know, I think a lot of people had that same experience where you you get out at two a.m. and then you're like, well, what do we do now? Like, right? Like you said, like you said, there's no cabs, no. So, but yeah, a lot of people like didn't get back till six a.m. even later. But yeah, you wouldn't trade it for the world. You have that experience. So I'm of sure course. you know that's that's not the part you really focus on. Right, but yeah, yeah, that was great, and, and yeah, Pearl Jam should play Alaska. Come on, guys. <laughs> Why not play on a glacier or something like that? Yeah, definitely. All right, I think I'm going to do these next two since they're pretty short. All right, uh, I think we've got we've got a friend of the show who's been a guest before, Bradley Piasecki. Uh He writes in and says, uh, "With 2013 being the first, I figured I would contribute a little anecdote about that one." I'm sure you have tons of stories about the rain delay or the show itself, so I figured I would talk a little about something else from that show. Uh, That show was the first time in my experience that they had a merch tent set up outside the venue the day before the show. I decided to head up to Wrigley the day before to pick up some stuff. I jumped on the train in my hometown and was downtown in about 45 minutes with another 20-minute train ride to Wrigleyville. The merch tents opened at noon, so I figured if I got there at 1, I would have a little wait, but would ultimately be able to get some merch, maybe a poster, and then grab some lunch before I caught my train home. Boy, was I wrong. The line was wrapped around the ballpark and snaked in and out of different areas. It happened to be one of the hottest days of the year, so that made the standing outside even more torturous. 
While in line, I got to know some of the people around me a bit and met a nice couple from New Jersey and a lady from North Carolina. We all shared our Pearl Jam stories and passed the time taking turns running to the 7-Eleven to get snacks and water. After waiting for over four hours, I realized that I would not be able to get to the front by the time I needed to catch my train home. Whew, that's a bad feeling. Sadly, I had to leave empty-handed. I gave my phone number to the couple from New Jersey and asked them to text me when they made it to the front of the line. By the time they got there, I had been home for an hour or so, and they told me that they were sold out of all but one poster and most of the t-shirts. I am glad I didn't stay for that. Unfortunately, I lost their number and have not heard from them since. It could have been a cool start to a Pearl Jam friendship. On a good note, I was able to get some merch the day of the show, but no poster. He did get one as a gift a few months later, so congratulations. That's always good. It doesn't matter when you get it as long as you got it. Exactly. And then he says, a couple of bullet points of the actual show. It was my first time in the quote-unquote pit, and we got decently close. The rain delay didn't screw us since we hadn't waited all day for the rail or anything. We stood in front of Mike and about were about six rows of people back. And then he says, seeing bugs in person was very cool, of course, as well as the live debuts of Lightning Bolt and Future Days. Hold On was another pleasant surprise. Yeah, another person mentioned Hold On. And I always welcome Faithful and come back at any show I'm attending. It was a bummer to see the other side was on the set but skipped due to the delay. Sure. And then the last thing he says is, during the delay, we were all crammed under the stadium, and I remember it being very muggy and hot. I also remember making a joke to the people around me that Pearl Jam should play Yellow Lead Better as the first song when they return, just to see everyone's reaction. Well, thanks, yeah, Bradley. of course, yeah. Brad and Bradley was on our uh, forum episode that we did yeah. for uh, yeah. night one, and going to be on night two as well. So, again, you know, he's that, contributed so much to the show. So, thanks again. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. And that that would have been the ultimate troll job if they just come out and played Yellow Lead Better and then like <laughs> fake like they were going to walk off, like do the do the big bow, get everybody together. All I mean, right, they could have they could have done that as as song number seven, and then you right. really would have been panicking whether or not they were going to come back. <laughs> Oh, uh, that would have been, yeah, the ultimate troll job. All right, uh, we got a really short one here from Frazier Gonzalez. Uh, he says, what else can I say about that show in 2013? First time in Chicago and made it a weekend. I convinced the wife that it will be a worthwhile trip from Los Angeles to the Windy City, and Pearl Jam would be the highlight. We got tickets on the field and had a great spot, then the rain delay. Waiting and waiting, then a mad rush to get our spot back. I forgot how long they played or when we finally got on the train. Crowded, I offered my seat to an older woman. She complimented my t-shirt. person with her told me, that's Eddie's mother. Gotta be pulling my leg. So I've seen her from afar before, and it, it did look like her. I believe he sent a photo. Oh, okay. I believe this Quite is an experience. So, Quite an yeah. experience, Frazier. Yeah. That, that, that's pretty better. cool. He Absolutely. did say that his family was there, I think, right? uh yeah i believe so i believe he said brothers yeah. were there so yeah i wouldn't be surprised at all yeah yeah very Had cool a little, uh, little moment there yeah thank you fraser and interesting that his mom was taking the train that late at night and wouldn't hop in you know one of the uh i'm sure you know transports that uh that her son was probably taking to uh to his hotel so she's yeah yeah you never know salt yeah. of the earth just like ed that's where he gets it from, I suppose. Uh, cool. All right. Uh, next one is from John Cowling. We all have our stories from that night, especially from the rain delay. Some of the things that happened outside of the concert could have ruined the night, but the band made it all worth it. Number one, the merch lines were impossible. 
We tried every day when we were there to get a poster or a shirt and always came up short. We ended with packs of baseball cards as our souvenirs, and the worst was really the day of the show. We'd been in a long merch line for about two hours or so when they decided to open up a new merch tent right after we had passed the location. So people who were in line for less time than us got their items. Number two, I almost missed Ernie Banks and all the way because the concession worker and the food line I was in had a meltdown and left again right as I got to the front of the line. I barely made it back in time after it took 10 minutes to find a new worker. Number three, the show went on so late that the hotel we were staying in that night gave our room away. <laughs> Ouch. Damn, that yeah. sucks. Luckily, they found us a replacement at another hotel at 3.30 in the morning. That's honestly, 3.30 is not bad for some of these stories. That's, that's not too terrible. I remember all these things fondly, including standing in the rain with the crowd. I wouldn't change that concert experience for anything except maybe that rumored 40-song set list. Oh, and by the way, in a blind poster drawing through 10 Club a year later, I got my poster, the Emac Wrigley. It was all worth the wait. Awesome. <laughs> Just frustrating, but, yeah. you know... Uh, I'm glad he remembers it fondly. Yeah, yes. A lot of these stories, look, they're... Some of them are not going to be pretty, and most of them are just going to be just in awe of seeing the band there, and, and that's mostly why we wanted to do these shows to begin with. But, um, yeah, the, that first Wrigley, nobody has a pretty experience from it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we've got, uh, we've got one here from Jeremy Curtis. He says, uh, being a Cubs fan and coming to Wrigley Field ever since I was a kid, seeing my favorite band play there was a dream come true. Having been to 13 Pearl Jam shows, including the 2013, 2016, and 2018 shows, uh, that first one was the most memorable to me. At the time, I had not been to a concert at Wrigley, so I was very much anticipating this show. Me and my concert buddy going of mine, Matt, took that Friday off from work and drove the two hours up from Champaign. Having a brother who lived in the South Loop of Chicago until 2012, I was pretty familiar with the area. After a little pregame, I remember contemplating whether to take an Uber or catch the red line, a Cermak Chinatown stop. Normally, this would be about a 20-25 minute car ride versus a 40 or 45 minute train ride. There were several people at our hotel going to the show that we met, and we probably partied a little too much before. I can see that. Uh, He says, I decided to call an Uber. This was a big mistake. Given that it was rush hour on a Friday and construction everywhere, we made it about halfway there in the Uber. It was stop and go, mostly stopped, virtually from the start. Matt had pre-gamed quite a bit more than I did and, of course, had to relieve himself. Since we were literally stopped on Lakeshore Drive, he opened his door and pissed out the Uber. <laughs> Needless to say, our driver did not appreciate this. He got off the next exit and kicked us out. Yeah, we were no getting pretty rushed. Ooh, yeah. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, he says we were we were getting pretty rushed on time to make the start of the show by this point. So we ran about a half mile to catch the red line at State and Grand. This was, of course, before one quick in and out in some random hotel to pee. Uh, now, now you get to the hotel to pee. Uh, we crammed in a train and headed up the rest of the way. We ended up getting there with about 20 minutes to spare, so no time for merch before the show. We had second row down towards the left field foul pole. At that time, I thought the seats were pretty good, but after now having been to many shows at Wrigley, I think the field is the only way to go. 
Knowing Eddie was really looking forward to playing Wrigley, I knew this show would be something special. After several slower songs to open, including Present Tense and Hold On, fuck yeah, another mention of Hold On there, I knew this was going to be epic. I was anticipating a 40-plus song set list. After a few more songs, they ended up stopping the show due to the storms. At this point, I became extremely dejected. I remember thinking there's no way they'll continue, and even if they do, it would only be for a few songs. I had heard that Fish, who were playing at Northerly Island that same night, had cut their show short due to the storms. After the lightning, I remember just sitting in my seat, pouting for lack of a better word. Uh, my friend Matt suggested leaving, but after a two-hour, 45-minute rain delay, they came back on. I remember thinking, yeah, a few more songs, and then they'll be forced to stop due to the time. To my surprise, they kept on playing and playing. Rarities such as Bugs and All Night were played, and it was also the live debut of Lightning Bolt and Future Days. I remember they played until 2.05 a.m. Since Wrigley Field sits in the middle of a neighborhood, I didn't even think this was possible. I remember feeling extremely exhausted when the show ended. I think the show started at 7, though I'm pretty sure they didn't start on time. We got back to our hotel around 3.30 a.m. I'm so thankful I didn't listen to my friend and leave early. Three things I do wish had happened at the show were... Playing Man of the Hour, it was on the set list but not played. He says, this is my number one song I want to hear live, but never have. Number two, he says, should have picked up the white Pearl Jam shirt with the set list on the back. And then he says, number three, wish Pearl Jam had an official bootleg for this one. It's one of two shows I've been to that they have not released, with, of course, PJ20 being the others. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, wish we wish we would, we'd have a bootleg on that, too. Would have definitely helped for covering that show and and just our listening enjoyment so uh hey, at least his hotel didn't give his room away exactly <laughs> there's a lot of like if this wouldn't have happened in that story like at least that happened in the other story so yeah there's a lot of that but it's fun uh we are going to tell a story now from frank herb so this is this is one from frank herb uh still about 2013 I met a friend of mine in Wrigleyville to go to the show, and I was also on the first base side. We had been to the Wishlist Foundation fundraiser at one of the bars and made our way to get in line. We saw the gate down the first base line and saw nobody in line there. I walked up to the fence and asked a worker if they'd be letting fans in this gate. She checked and said yes. Suddenly, we were first in line. As it got close to the time to let us in, a Chicago police officer needed to move the group back so they could screen us. I was wearing my Pearl Jam 20 shirt where the, P with, uh, where the PJ on the front was made to look like the Green Bay Packers G logo. The officer made a comment about Packer fans not being at the front of the line, and I said something along the lines of normally finishing first when it involved Chicago. We were screened and led into Wrigley, and right ahead of us was a fully stocked merchandise stand. I had looked at some stuff, and nothing caught my eye except the Cracker Jack poster. My friend brought a shirt, and we started to, uh, to our seats. I looked down on the ground, and there were two posters laying on the ground. Someone had bought all four and dropped two of them. I picked up the posters and yelled to the person. I gave him the poster while another person told me that I should have kept them. They aren't my posters, was my reply. Fast forward a couple weeks, and I'm at work looking at my personal email. There's a 10 Club email selling extra posters from Wrigley. I logged on quick and was able to order the Cracker Jack poster and have it hanging in my man cave and I see it on eBay for about 20 times what I paid for it. That's, uh, that is good karma there. I think his, his, uh, his title of his email was uh, PJ Karma Story. So yes, 
great karma and uh, always do the right thing when it comes to that. Whether it's money or it's anything, always try to find the person that uh, that owns it. So thank you very much, Frank, for, for sharing that. Yeah, good for you, Frank. Yeah, you don't want that hanging over you stealing someone else's posters. Uh, so we've, we've got one here. We're going to start off the 2016 shows uh, with a story here from Mike and Danny to Persia. And uh, Mike says, so I was never more than a casual fan until my wife asked me to take her to see the guys at Wrigley in the summer of 2016. My wife has been a fan all along, and I was always a stubborn classic rock fan, never giving 90s music the time of day. Living just 20 miles from Wrigley and being Cub fans, having been to Wrigley countless times, we figured, what the hell, let's go. We were late to the party in regards to tickets, so we had to go through a corporate partner and paid an embarrassing amount of money to see both shows that summer. For Wrigley 1, we had field seats, and for night 2, we had first base side seats. The corporate partner made us believe that we would be... The corporate partner made us believe that we would be involved in a VIP experience before the first show. Needless to say, that never happened. I should mention, my wife has significant balance issues, so when in a crowded atmosphere, I insist she be in a wheelchair so she doesn't get knocked down. Safety first, absolutely. I should also mention that this would be our first ever Pearl Jam show, so we made an entire weekend experience of it. My wife volunteered items for the wishlist party, so we headed out to Slugger's Bar at noon, where we participated in pre-show drinking and meeting many other fans from all around the world. After a few hours, we decided to see the crowd out front of Wrigley. What a crowd! We hadn't seen Wrigleyville hopping like this ever before. Three months later, it was even crazier. For the World Series, I assume he's talking about. Eventually, we got some merch and jumped in the ADA line, sat through a short summer rain, then headed to our seats with help from security. Entering Wrigley through the bullpen out to the field was an experience in its own. The view. Wow. I'm on the field where my boyhood idols played. The ivy, the warning track, the outfield grass. So freaking cool. I'm Eddie's age and felt like a kid living a dream. Anyhow, we get to our seats in short right center field. We asked the security guard where we could leave my wife's wheelchair. He called the supervisor over who promptly told us to follow him. Shit, we thought we would get stuck in some terrible ADA seats. But he led us up to Mike's side rail where there was a sweet ADA seating area. Score. He gave us wristbands, I gave him $20, and we sat right on the rail in front of the large screen. Tip your guys. I grabbed a couple of cold beers. Whew, lucked out there. I grabbed a couple of cold beers and we watched the crowd file in behind us as well as in the rooftops across from Wrigley. After a couple of false alarms, when fans would start to cheer, the lights went out and the guys took the stage. Boom. Low light. Our first live PJ song. My wife was in her element, lost in the music. I was still trying to find my appreciation, but enjoying the show. Then, a few songs in, release. Dedication to John and Center Rail, John Evans. He says, I'd lost my father years before and still miss him terribly. I lost it, crying and singing along. Now, you weren't the only one, Mike. Wife smiling and crying with me. An hour into the show and I'm all in. I'm feeling it. I'd been to a hundred concerts before this one, but this band and these fans seemed different. Halfway through the show, Given to Fly. My wife's brother passed a few years earlier, and Given to Fly was his favorite song. My wife has a stick man with angel wings and his initials tattooed on her shoulder. She stands up and screams, then sings and cries and dances. Watching her enjoy the show made the price we paid worth every penny. Three hours and some 30-plus songs later, the show is over. We hang out and watch the crowd spill out of Wrigley and into the streets and bars of Wrigleyville. Now we're hooked, anxiously awaiting the second show two days later. For night two, 
We arrived at Slugger's around noon to participate in the wishlist activities, again, drinking and meeting the people from the Jamily. Hung out at, in line at Home Plate Main Entrance, the Let's Play 2 camera crew up above the crowd, getting everyone worked up for the show. We stopped at customer service to see if we could get back to the stage side ADA section. Can't hurt to ask, right? No problem, they say. Cubs customer service is freaking awesome. They arranged for an escort to bring us straight to the left side stage, just like night one. Hooked us up with wristbands, then I parked the wife's wheelchair right on the rail. Tipped our escort $20 again, then went to buy some merchant beer. Another stellar three-hour show with surprise guest Dennis the Worm Rodman. Ed and Mike came by numerous times. Ed brought his bottle of wine and shared with a few people nearby. Wife got a couple of Mike picks. After living just 20 miles from Wrigley most of my 56 years and making it to both 2016 Let's Play 2 shows, we made the move to Arizona in the summer of 2017. As soon as the 2018 tour was announced, we knew we would head home for two more Wrigley shows. Luckily, this time we won ADA tickets to both shows. Flash forward to August 2018, I'm working a month-long month -long job at Denver Airport where my truck shit the bed on me, so I'm getting rides from a local co-worker while I figure out my vehicle issue. My wife and son drive back to Chicago to stay at our other son's apartment in the Logan Square neighborhood, five miles from Wrigley, while I fly into O'Hare Friday night before Wrigley night one and jump on the Blue Line L train to my son's place. On the, tra on the plane from Denver, I meet a great couple going to the show. Sadly, don't recall their names. Then, while waiting for the train to take me to my son's place, I notice numerous other Pearl Jam fans coming into town. Saturday morning, we head to Wrigleyville again, spending a few hours at Sluggers and a few more at Murphy's Bleachers. At Murphy's, we meet a fan from Boston with a sweet rats shirt on, which gets me pumped because I'm chasing rats and have been promoting hashtag rats at Wrigley for weeks. We find our way to our left stage ADA section with help from the great Cub security staff. The night was very hot and humid, and before long, security had brought in countless cases of water and began distributing it to anyone who asked. The night started with Wash. Awesome first song, but in hindsight would have been more appropriate for night two. I think we talked about that as well. A great set with some deeper, less played songs throughout the night. There was a definite more intense vibe from the guys, most likely due to the criticism they received for the Missoula poster, combined with the seriousness of the upcoming elections. The oppressive heat and humidity was setting in as a couple of fans were pulled out of the crowd with heat exhaustion. The staff continued to distribute water bottles, encouraging everyone to drink water. In the middle of the set, Ed pulls out a guitar given to him by Tom Petty, tells a short story, then proceeds to play I Won't Back Down. The appreciative crowd sings along while lighting up Wrigley with their phones as a tribute to Tom. It was a pretty cool moment. I agree. They finish the show with three classics, Alive, Rockin' in the Free World, and of course the incomparable Yellow Ledbetter. During Rockin' in the Free World, Ed is all over the place, tossing tambourines into the crowd. He stops directly in front of us, points at my wife, and tosses her one. Everyone around us goes wild, and the resulting smile on her face is still there today. Another great show behind us. What will night two bring us? We don't know, of course, but we speculate and reminisce about the show we just experienced. Good night, Wrigleyville. See you for night two. And Thanks, Mike did... and Danny. That was a, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic stories. Uh, you know, being able to get the ADA section when you didn't have it, and that's really important. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I like, you know, and the experience and not – him not being a Pearl Jam fan really at first and then going and, and it just sort of completely transforming him. That That's, that's what it's all about right there. Definitely. And shout out to those, the people working the show, those 
the, the people at Wrigley Field, like they didn't have to take care of them like that, but they, they went above and beyond. And I'm sure that that came from the top down, you know, I'm sure the, you know, we saw in that, in that movie, the 95 tour movie, the, the people, the Pearl Jam crew meeting with people like, Hey, this is what we do. This is what to expect. We're going to take care of our fans. They're just as important as the band. So, you know, that, that comes down from the top. So that's, that's a great story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Love that one. Thank you very much to, to both you and, and, and Danny. Uh, all right. We'll get to long time live on four legs listener, Dave Robles for this one. And he starts off by saying Memphis 2014 is the only non Wrigley show I've ever seen. John and I were both there on the rail, didn't know each other, pretty much almost next to each other, though. So <laughs> it just kind of happenstance, and we yeah. had no no idea who each other were, and we didn't really meet until yeah. much, much later. So uh, my little brother and I drove in from Memphis for both shows in 2016 and 2018. Boy, Southern Illinois is flat. We stayed right off Michigan Avenue in 2016 and right off Saramac in 2018. What's to say? We got to eat at Shake Shack for the first time. We mastered the L train as much as some out-of-town kids can. We walked around in the rain a great deal. I got very emotional seeing Sue at the Field Museum the first year. She was off exhibit in 2018 while they were moving in Maximo. Let's just say I was livid and move on. We made Starbucks in our in Wrigleyville our home base for the first trip, but we tended to pop in and out for the second. I got fan club tickets for night one in 2016, but the rest just had regular seats. Being 20 feet away from the stage was exhilarating, but seeing the show from Terrace wasn't half bad either. You get to see the whole crowd interact with the band. I know this isn't the most popular opinion, but Wrigley 1 from 2016 was not only the best Pearl Jam show I've ever seen, it's the best live concert I've ever attended. It was immaculate from top to bottom. The set list, the acoustics, the electric encores, the proposal, all highlighted what the band was capable of. Masters of War is what I close my eyes and I see when I think of the band. It was amazing before the Mike McCready freak out, but that put it over the top. Night 2 was killer as well. I finally heard State of Love and Trust for the first time and honestly thought Sonic Reducer was the most powerful performance from the whole weekend. Needless to say, we couldn't have been any more excited for the away shows when they were announced. I said I had no problem to come into Chicago to see Pearl Jam biennially. We seemed a little less insistent on arriving super early as opposed to the first year. We were field level for both shows and we were ready. Seeing the friendly confines illuminated by cell phones during I Won't Back Down was unreal. And the first encore, it was perfect. Footsteps in the state, into breath, was the highlight of the weekend, but I don't think anyone was expecting Know Your Rights, except for possibly anybody who, who saw the Missoula set list. And then Rebel Rebel. My ex Leslie had turned me on to David Bowie a few years before he had passed, and his music became as important to me as any of the artists I grew up listening to. I was floored. We were 15 feet away from the guy who jumped on the field and got tackled at home plate. And then there was night two. I wasn't there for the inaugural Wrigley show in 2013, so I would even speculate on how it felt to be there in the weather uh, during the weather rolling in. It was stressful and frustrating, but most of the people we spoke with, or even saw in passing, conducted themselves with, calms, with calm patience. It was truly a testament to the fan base and their love for the band and one another but it was as well worth the wait. Ed gave a toast to us, and they ran through six intense songs to leave everybody staggered. We all know the show would be shorter, at least by Pearl Jam length, but it never felt like it was rushed or it was lacking. 
Overall, I thought the 2016 shows were some of the absolute best of what this band is capable of, treating 45,000 people like you are in a room with just them, creating a trip through their catalog, told a story, and hit on so many points of the human condition as possible through art and live music. The 2018 shows were special, but there were definitely something a little bit lacking. It's difficult to accuse the band that just spent a month and a half in Europe as being unprepared, but it felt like it seemed like they were a little fatigued, also under-rehearsed for this run of seven stadium shows in the U.S. They could have been a little bit more tighter. And you can really tell that when a show isn't taking maximum flight, it falls on McCready to bring up the energy and the fire, whether that's by band design or his own initiative. Don't get me wrong, the problem is that we have, all have high expectations, and everyone will read every show differently. But not everything can be musically incandescent and emotionally transcendent every time you are on the, on the stage. I still loved and treasured the shows and the experience. It's never not beautiful. And that's that. In truth, the drive back is what I look forward to the most, as much as the shows. Recounting the weekend with my brother as we head back. He's a sport. He loves the band, but he's not as intense of a fan as I am. He's stationed quite a ways away, so it was always great for he and I to have time just between the two of us. The first year, we snagged shirts and shenanigans before night two, but we did trek out to Wrigleyville the day in between shows in 2018 to visit the merch tent. It was a great to meet people and interact with everybody, and some people who just came from seeing them last week a thousand miles away, and some who lived in town and are seeing the band for the first time, it's gift. Every show is. And uh, then he gave a little bit of a postscript here saying, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my daughter. She takes great pleasure in vehemently disliking things that I like, and it's mildly adorable. She has always hated Pearl Jam, that is, until very recently. She fell in love with Small Town, Dance of Clairvoyance, and Super Blood Wolf Moon. And it's really funny. She hates that she's starting to really like the band, but she can't deny it. She gets that grumpy look on her face, but then she starts to move and sing. However, her favorite thing will always be the uh, the Pearl Jam trading cards. Even when she wasn't into music, she made sure I bring, brought her home a few packs of those. I only assume that it's in Major League ballparks, which I believe it is, but here's to hoping that maybe they'll be at every date going forward one can dream yes i believe that in 16 and 18 they busted the 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 cards out so maybe there are more ballpark shows and your daughter can get more cards but another great story another great experience just uh keep on keep on moving down the line here yeah that's funny about your about this kid too that's funny that she's like begrudgingly getting (laughs) yeah i know it's kind of like they can't avoid it so they might as well just kind of come to terms with it so it's good get it at an early age all right so i'll take this next one too uh this is from matt silver up to that weekend i'd seen pearl jam at various places 49 times after these shows monday august 22nd 2016 i would be at 51 shows under my belt my wife and i went to the piggery on irving park road and met other friends going to the concert we were sitting and talking about the shows and I had been I had been to and I was asked what are the songs that you haven't seen in concert and what are you hoping to eventually see. Without hesitation, I said Oceans and Of the Earth. We made our way into Wrigley. Now realize I may take a ribbing for what I'm about to say, but I'm fanatical about Pearl Jam the days before shows. I change my eating and drinking habits so during the shows I don't miss anything spending time in the bathroom. That being said, we get to Wrigley, sit in our fan club signed seats, and then the old western music plays as the band walks onto the stage. 
Ed says the famous, Hello, Wrigley. It'll be a good long night. And they open with oceans, and I literally begin weeping. When I was 18, about to graduate high school, I was emotionally broken, ready to be done with the world, was going to end my life, when I borrowed a friend's car and first heard Pearl Jam for the first song I ever heard was Oceans. I listened to it about 35 or 40 times over and over, and I was immediately hooked, and the band had never heard anything so perfect ever. Then they played Footsteps. Then later in the set, my mind was blown, and they play Of the Earth. And they continue to pl- they continue on to play Man of the Hour, my wife's favorite song, Last Kiss, Sonic Reducer, Surrender, and a double whammy of Rockin' in the Free World and Yellow Lead Better, blowing me away with 35 songs and three hours of perfection. I understood why I had spent 25 years and countless amounts of money following this band around and why I will continue to do so in the future. This band saved my life. I will never underestimate the power of music, but I do know that it has changed my life in a positive way. Both of my daughters have a Pearl Jam connection in their names, Madison Olivia and Mackenzie Pearl. The power of Pearl Jam and the friends I have made because of them is unreal. Keep on rocking in the free world. Thank you very much, very much Matt. Um, I know a lot of people can probably relate to your experiences, and yeah, Pearl Jam has gotten a lot of people in this world out of very tough situations. So I'm glad that uh, you were able to overcome that and, and keep fighting that. Yeah, definitely. We're glad you're here. All right, that was powerful. All right, uh, so the next one we have here is from Duke's Wooters. Uh, he says, uh, when I He's say He's one of our Pearl patrons, Jam, by the way. He is one of our patrons. Thank you so much. Uh, he says that when I say that Pearl Jam Chicago Weekend 2016 was one of the top five long weekends of my life, it is not an overstatement. It's the cold, hard truth. I'd have to get in a long line of Pearl Jam fans to say that when these six, let's include Boom, guys, announce shows that sometimes the stars align so cogently and it happened that weekend. I don't want to speak for anyone that will be reading this. Well, I'm reading it for you. But sometimes it is really fucking difficult to get people from the East Coast, New York, Philadelphia, and the suburbs to go anywhere during the summer. Look, I get it. I'm from New Jersey. The beaches are right there, and the summer tours will come through one of the arenas or amphitheaters. Yet, when these shows were announced, and about 20 beloved New Yorkers said a mutual friend was getting married that same weekend in Chicago, I already knew we were in for fireworks. To compliment this crew were a few of my close Pearl Jam friends from D.C. who would never miss this, and my brother Dan. Dan, who was still pooping his pants when 10 came out, had spent the better part of this past decade earning multiple degrees from Marquette up in Milwaukee. While there, he became tight friends with a dude named Mike. They got to talking about music one day, and Mike inquired to Dan if he enjoyed Pearl Jam. Dan confirmed an allegiance, and as their friendship grew, Mike revealed that his father, Bud, had gone to Marquette with a guy named Mike Richter from not all, to be all confused, places. Not to be confused with goalie Mike Richter. Move on. Sure, sure. Uh, from, all, from all places, Big Sandy, Montana. Richter was a close friend of the Amens, and thus Bud became good friends with Jeff during the early club and university tour days. Tragically, Richter died in a car crash in the early 2000s. Through the tragedy... Bud and Jeff continued a tight-knit friendship, which led the way to my brother tagging along backstage at St. Louis in Milwaukee 2014 and the subsequent R&DM tour in Chicago. So when these shows were announced, Dan immediately called me saying that the Milwaukee squad would be there in force. To supplement it all, we're going to experience one of the greatest bands at one of the most iconic ballparks in arguably the greatest summer city in the USA. 
Nothing really beats August to October in Chicago. I've been fortunate through college to not only build lifelong friendships with Chicagoans, but to have gone to multiple Wrigley Day games. It's pure Americana. About two weeks before liftoff, Dan called me in a somber tone. Bud's wife had died suddenly from a heart attack. Having not even met Dan's friends, I still felt a kinship there from all of the wonderful stories I'd heard about this family, and now all joyful anticipation had been snapped for a rightful private focus on the bereaved. Word came down a few days before the weekend that there would be a celebration of life at the Saturday Wrigley Show, and the extended family was caravanning down to the friendly confines for the weekend. When I landed on a red-eye the morning of the show, my phone blew up with multiple text messages from the DC crew explaining, quote-unquote, how fucked the merch lines were at then 8 a.m. Five hours later, and they finally got their swag and picked me up some, too. Like many of the old ballparks, the planners looked to build Wrigley Field within an established residential neighborhood versus the modern idea of construction in a barren or underdeveloped part of the respective town. Wrigleyville is a scene unto itself with bars and apartments wrapping the field. We kicked things off at Vines on Clark, which has an incredible summer patio, and were greeted within an hour by a rip-roaring thunderstorm. This, of course, brought back memories for many of the weather-delayed, legendary 2013 2 a.m. performance. Yet this storm moved out of the area within 25 minutes or so, and we were back outside. After more than a few honkers ales, Dan and I headed over to a big party bus that was delivering the Milwaukee crew to the party. After exchanging pleasantries and subtle condolences, we followed them to the VIP entrance. Pro tip to our listeners, he says, to Live on Four Legs listeners, they do not check if you have VIP access at this entrance, only that you have a ticket. Use this knowledge. We've gotten that twice now. Thanks. Thanks, Dukes. Uh, Dan and I had tickets on the second level, but we kept meandering our way with the true MVPs. After a few passbacks, there we were, and a gated-off soundboard section on the field surrounded by 45,000 of the faithful. Less than two minutes later, dusk had set in, and the boys got to the job at hand. Low light teed things off, followed by an emotional release. Besides the cover of Rain by the Beatles, a pretty standard 1-7 through seven song kickoff for this era of touring. After Lightning Bolt, Ed starts to discuss ghosts and stuff. The band dives into a blistering version of Sad like it would be the last time they ever played it, dedicating it to, well, the guy Bud Fox and his family standing around me, bereaving a wife, mother, family member, and best friend in one of the most unifying and spiritual ways this Pearl Jam fan can imagine. He will always love you. It's sad. I had never gotten my favorite backspacer tune amongst the waves before, so I was stoked that it went right into that. Light Years was a super emotional version dedicated to Gord Downey of the Tragically Hip, who was playing an even bigger show at that exact time up in Canada while being stricken with glioblastoma. I Got Shit was perfect. Perfect place in the set. Everything was perfect. The political one-two punch of Masters of War and I Am a Patriot, Patriot were excellent, and I really enjoyed the fast version of Patriot versus the slow acoustic. Fast forward to the set break, and I find myself being introduced to a woman who had heard I lived in Seattle. She mentioned that she lived on the west side, and I mentioned a local outdoor eatery that my girlfriend and I frequent. This woman jumped up about how much she and her husband loved that place, and I said, oh, we should connect and meet up there sometime, and yada, yada, yada. I still not have gone out for a double date with Pandora and Jeff Amen. Encore 1 kicks off, and I try to find the bathroom during Pea Girl and just piss. Oh, come on. Come on. That's not fair. Show some respect there. Uh, besides the Ramones cover, this is probably the most underwhelming part of the weekend. Let Me Sleep. Somehow this song has been played six times live and I've seen half of them. I just don't dig Christmas songs in the middle of the summer. Three weeks prior, 
I was 10 feet away from Steve Gleason at the Seattle premiere of his movie. Now I'm seeing him on stage speaking to the crowd about his admiration for the band and introing Inside Jaw. Again, another amazing version. I loved the placement of Corduroy at this show. End of first encore, sign me up every time, into Porch. When they kicked off Go for the second encore, I didn't think we were going to be leaving anytime soon, but they quickly simmered it down with Black. Alive was a dance party at the soundboard, and then all the way in Baba were lights-on sing-alongs with old Cubs players taking the stage. As we departed on a beautiful summer night, all I could think of was, I can't be... all I could think of was, I can't believe we're lucky enough to do this all again on Monday. Many of us would drop what we're doing to see Pearl Jam any day of the week, but really nothing beats a Saturday-Monday one-two punch when the off day equals a summer-Sunday fun day in Chi-Town. It was also air show weekend, so all day you got the Blue Angels buzzing the towers while you enjoyed outdoor cocktails. If one has ever gone down the very deep Pearl Jam internet rabbit hole, you may have run across a grainy video of Ed singing karaoke at a Chicago bar, with Red Wings Blackhawks legend Chris Chelios. That bar was Stanley's. It recently closed uh, due to the landlord being a righteous prick. Located in Lincoln Park, Stanley's was a Sunday neighborhood establishment with a drinker's brunch that led into live band karaoke. On an off day between shows, perhaps Ed would swing over for a few Coronas and tunes? After bouncing around the north side for much of the afternoon, our collective was now made up of a variety of friends from New York and the Midwest. Around 8.30 or so, we decided to venture over to Stanley's to see if there was any action. We walked in, and literally the first person we see sitting in a booth with a bunch of girls around him was Dennis fucking Rodman. (laughs) We look over to the other side of the bar, and there was Chris fucking Chelios. We were all pretty faded at this point, but we shocked ourselves to attentiveness. Was this all really going to go down tonight? I went over to Dennis and asked if he was going to sing tonight, and he mumbled something, and then we shook hands. Biggest hand I had ever shook. Chelios was hanging on the on the phone now, and he hollered to Dennis, Yeah, we aren't hanging out here tonight. Let's go meet up at the hotel. Well, there goes that. Now everyone gets to enjoy me singing Dancing by Myself with by Billy Idol. I'm with you on that one. The night ended at some point, and we were on to the Monday show. Due to the New York crew missing the Saturday show for that wedding, they were rearing to go early on Monday. We met at Little Cheval, a better version of Shake Shack, to prep for the show. We decided for this round to pregame at Bernie's, another fantastic Greeleyville haunt owned by a friend of many friends from the north side. The Monday happy hour party was on. Early in the day, the band tweeted that they would be going up promptly at 8 p.m., so we knew we would be in for hopefully a long night. We all had GA and ponied up to our usual GA perch, Stoneside. In the, ex- in the exclamatory fashion of the news reporter, when he first sees One-Eyed Willie ship in the Goonies, Holy Mary, Mother of God, the first 11 songs of the night, elevated the Wrigley faithful to a whole new level. Oceans and the footsteps and off he goes. What a fucking start. Then the 11th song of the night, boom, here comes our buddy from Stanley's, Rodman, carrying Eddie around the stage. We were all so jacked on another plane of instant euphoria. Mixed into a standard opening set, we caught Of the Earth into a Luke and Double Take when Ed started over after cursing some asshole out for harassing a woman and then throwing his ass out. Great kickoff to Encore 1 with Throw Your Arms Around Me, which gave me that summer campfire feel with 45,000 of your closest friends. Uh, hashtag Let Stone Sing was a constant throughout the weekend. And sure enough, after a few false starts, we got Don't Give Me No Lip and a Sonic Reducer. Encore 2 was just an all-out sing-along. I don't remember too much of it, but after hearing the bootleg, we were all singing along in unison to all the tunes. I've got a feeling they nailed 
even with Ed at least on red wine bottle number three. It felt like it was a 91 or 92 club show. As we wandered out trying to comprehend what we just partook, I looked back hoping that I would have the chance to stand in that outfield for more shows in our future days. Fantastic. That's a lot. I mean, that's a lot, and it puts everything into perspective, too. Like, I I actually didn't realize that, uh, you know, his friend... Uh, Bud was the person that they were dedicating light years to. That that was that yeah, must have been really yeah, emotional definitely. for them. Absolutely, absolutely. So thank you, uh, thank you to yeah, Dukes yet to again. Dukes. That's powerful yeah. stuff. Thank you. You guys that have written uh, long long stories, you guys have uh, put in a lot of dedication to this. So we so we really thank you for this. And uh, there's a couple of really good ones coming up. Uh, I'm going to take the next two if you don't mind, John. This is from Amy Johnson and uh, from Kyle Johnson as well. And if you recognize those names, uh, we will tell you why in just a second. I thought it would be fun to share our story. I surprised my husband Kyle with tickets to our favorite band on August twenty August 2016. He then emailed Pearl Jam for three weeks, asking them to play our song so we can propose to me at the concert. He only got a response saying they would do their best, but they couldn't make a promise. Uh, Well, we both got surprised and got called on stage during the first night of the the concert, where Eddie himself sang our song to us while Kyle got on one knee and proposed. It was the most amazing experience, and we got married in April of 2017. We since then have had a little boy and one on the way, gives us five kids in total. We have watched our video on YouTube many times, forever grateful for Eddie and Pearl Jam, and I again bought tickets to the concert in St. Louis this year, and it got postponed due to COVID, but would love to relive our story. And uh, yeah, that was great. I I didn't expect to hear from them at all, and uh, yeah, definitely great to hear from the people that got that absolutely heartwarming emotional experience, and and to know that neither of them knew it was coming until you know the middle of that show where he says, "Where's Kyle Johnson?" Yeah, that's that's pretty cool, man. That's that's pretty cool stuff. So, uh, you know, I'm glad that both of you are are still thriving and and have a, a beautiful child that's on the way. That's fantastic, and uh, hope to hear from you guys soon. Hoping, wishing for the well, wishing well for the both of you. Yeah, hopefully we'll see you in St. Louis. Absolutely, yeah. We'll we will be there too whenever whenever we're able to be. So, all right. So from there, we actually have another character from the night one show uh that is in this next story so i'm going to tell trevor shaken's story right here we were there to connect with old friends and made lots of new ones to share war stories from the mosh pit at Lollapalooza 92 to talk music and bask in our communal love for the best band in the world and what they stood for we were there to eat cheetos and chorizo tacos from the only restaurant near the l train that's open really late We were there to drink blue Gatorade instead of water because, actually, I'm not sure why we did that, but it seemed like the right thing to do. All of it. That's the best of what you can find camping out in the GA lineup before a big Pearl Jam show. I wandered up from my spot at the back of the front of the line to the very head of the snake to get some wisdom from Dr. John Evans himself, who was already many days into his mediation. John said, When you get an infection below the gum line, you experience swelling that actually raises the tooth, pushing it up and out so you're making too much contact with your bite, even in a resting position. If all else fails, we can get a little nail file and I can shove the height of the molar. You'd be surprised how soft teeth really are. And me, being Trevor, nodding reluctantly. 
file that under conversations you never thought you'd have riding the rail queue before a Pearl Jam show. It was my second day of the week of the long Wrigleyville 2016 campaign, and I was in the midst of a dental emergency. There's a chance something about the cabin pressure of the 500-mile prop plane flight caused my back tooth to act up all of a sudden because it really hadn't been hurting before I left. On a pain scale of 1 to 10, I was at a 10.85, and no amount of CBD oil, painkillers, or southern comfort was going to tame this beast. Imagine being in the GA line and and being able to feel that. That sounds absolutely terrible. Around 5 p.m., my cell phone rings, and it's my girlfriend back in Toronto who had been diligently working Yelp on my behalf. I found a dentist who will see you if if you can get in there in in the next 30 minutes. They close at 6, but we'll squeeze you in. It's not far from Ridley. Now I have a decision to make. There are rumors that Pearl Jam is playing a rooftop show at Murphy's Bleachers, and the band's gear and large black vehicles with tinted windows have been arriving for the last couple hours for what could be the surprise event of the weekend. Do I choose to stick around, experience the equivalent of the Beatles playing Get Back and Don't Let Me Down for the very first and last time dressed in fur coats while people run parkour along nearby rooftops jumping from ledge to ledge in order to catch a better view of the show with gangs of British bobbies brandishing nightsticks in hot pursuit? Or do I go to the dentist? I go to the dentist. At West End Dental, they took one look at me and sprung into action with x-rays and immense jaw-puncturing machines. The dentist said, You definitely need a root canal. We're going to start with some more anesthetic, then I'm going to bring you down to the height of the back of the tooth a little bit. Now listen, I don't want you avoiding the root canal because you don't have any health coverage. If it's hurting so much that you can't wait till you go back home next week, call me and we'll make time to do it on Monday at the discounted friends and family rate, okay? Me, him, his his response, if this is how you guys usually treat your patients, as soon as I get home, I'm going to fire my dentist. As he's getting text messages while he's in the chair, it looks like they're about to play any minute now. Get back here, rapido. This is about to happen. Where the hell are you? I'm resolved to miss this magical rooftop event, and there isn't much I can do as this entire week is now on the line. West End Dental take care of me as best as they can and wrap me up in prescriptions before sending me out the door. By the time I get back to Wrigleyville, the band is into... What? They seem to be pretending to play a show on top of Murphy's, but we can't hear anything. Is it a photo shoot? Are they rehearsing? I seem to have missed it all, but also mysteriously, I have somehow missed nothing. The highlight of this non-event is when Mike leans over the railing and takes a Polaroid of the huge, expectant crowd that is gathered below. There is no serenade, and unfortunately Mike has very short hair now, so there can be no reenactment of the Rapunzel fairy tale for even a single lucky prince. There is very little parkour. There are no bobbies. Somehow, for once in my life, I've made the right choice. Now let's rewind a little bit to uh, back a couple months to May 10th, 2016. For a lot of you, that is a very notable date because... I'm close enough to scream binaural just after God's dice and Mr. Mike McCready and have him hear me and respond with a shrug mouthing, what? Huh? And pretend not to know what I'm talking about. He knows. They're playing binaural from front to back for the first time ever and he's playing it cool. I don't blame him. He's got stuff to do and he's telling me uh, and me telling him about it isn't likely to help him achieve a single one of his current goals. He did, however, notice my t-shirt and from the stage... He's asking me where I got it from. Naturally, he could not hear from my answer from 40 feet away, and he pamped to mine, tell me later. 
Okay, Mike, I'll do that. That is what I will do when you put you and I put our feet up right after this Tour de France in front of two, 20,000 people. I will text you from my spot in the queue for your next show in two days, and then you can swing by and pick me up so we can go to the pre- get in the presidential suite or wherever people like you get to say. My ticket buddy did cautiously ask earlier in the day, why are you wearing that shirt? And after the show, I said, see, Mike liked it. Fast forward to Wrigley night one, 2016, August 20th. It's been over 48 hours of rough non-sleeping on the sidewalk and skillful avoidance of a very comfortable hotel room appointed with modern luxuries such as a toilet, a shower, and this new fangled thing you plug your phone into which somehow breathes life essence directly into it. By now I'm gobbling antibiotics, anti-inflammatories, and some very strong prescription pain meds from a serious back surgery someone I knew had recently endured. Last we file in for the show, number one, a passing sign that basically says, all who enter here are consenting to being in a Pearl Jam film. Oh, that's interesting. The moment the seal is broken and the misfits who've spent days in line are loosed upon the rail is an experience I wish upon no one. If you want to see humans regress to a state of unbecoming of even their most ancient evolutionary ancestors, this may be a case study for that. My plan of being up front and on Mike's side and with my ticket buddies was immediately smashed to bits, and all I could do was follow the wave as it crested across from rail from left to right and hold on for dear life before the swell crashed over me and pushed me backwards into the pit. I ended up with a spot somewhere in between Eddie and Stones beside my friend Rebecca and a couple folks from her crew that I had met earlier in the adventure. The bunch of us were wearing shirts. I didn't think much of it. We all know Wrigley 2013 was tough. We carried the scars of the battle that was nearly, very nearly lost. 2016 had already been an epic journey, but finally we were going to get the show we, tonight that we thought we deserved. We were very emotional. This tends to happen when you don't sleep for days on end. Ask anybody who's had twins. When J- Dr. John got the dedication during release, it seemed to validate everything that we'd been through to get to this point. Or maybe that's just proje- projection or transference. I tend to mix those two things up. In any case, it had made it all real for our little jamily, and it felt like we had earned it somehow. Now, all we had to do was try our best to be pre- present as possible and let the experience wash over us. The reality is... I find being present rather difficult, even at the best times. Generally speaking, the prescription meds are not at the top of the list of tools that facilitate this most challenging mental exercise either, but I was left to manage the hand fate had dealt me. The show was on. We sang. We danced. We hopped up and down a bit in the vice grip crush of people on all sides and tried not to lose our footing. We chanted. We raised hands. All at the right spots and do the evolution. We smiled and grinned, like our teeth might fall out on their own, be careful there, and we wouldn't even care. There are folks that after there are folks that have already done a great job of running through the night's set list and evaluating the show overall. I doubt I can add much value to that part of the conversation, so I shall refer you to them. The band and then the band starts Better Man. And somewhere in there, Ed pauses to address the crowd. The audio clip is better heard than described. And yes, we did play it on that episode, but I will speak to this though. The t-shirt that I was wearing that Ed pointed out was the same shirt that I wore in Toronto. Yes, the very same one 
and the one and only that Mike McCready likes so much, he asked me where I got it, the White Snake shirt. So <laughs> during the show, I if I had to connect the dots, I guess I thought that if I got the in the rail in front of Mike and he saw me wearing it a second time, he might remember me. Unlikely, yes, but we can hope for miracles to happen and at a Pearl Jam show, they often do. Let's fast forward to 2018 in some airport. I did eventually bump into Danny Clinch and got the opportunity to apologize to him for nearly ruining Let's Play 2 by wearing the wrong shirt in the front row. Danny Clinch said, it's all right, we just got around you. Rewind to Amsterdam night one, 2018, another cue. Thankfully, I'm dental emergency free and close enough to the front of the line that I'm likely to find a spot on the rail after freezing my butt off outside the venue for longer than I care to admit. Somewhere back in the queue, I spot somebody in a white sink shirt and I holler back at them. Dude, what the fuck? I'm the white, I'm Mr. White Snake. Him. Ah, oh, man, I didn't know you'd be here. So show, showtime at Amsterdam 1. The stage is full is a full two feet taller than usual because the Dutch are known to be extra high, tall that is. <laughs> Would the band be able to see in the front row the, from that angle? It's pretty dark as well. Just in case, once again, I'm wearing the infamous shirt. Once again, I'm in front of Matt, Eddie. This time, he sees me and he chuckles in recognition and he launches a tambourine at me, which I tried my best to catch. And guess what? I fired my dentist as soon as I got home from the 2016 show. You might get to pick your side. You might get to pick your t-shirt. You do not get to pick your moment. It picks you. Well done, sir. Well done. A tremendous story. Thank you, Mr. Whitesnake, indeed. Uh, It it provided one of the the more humorous moments from that first night. And and Ed, you can tell that he was in such a playful mood at that moment, just going through the shirts. He's like, Whitesnake, what the fuck? So, you know, this is, it's great to hear the full tell the story that it really started at that binaural show and, and ended two years later in Amsterdam. That was all fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So next up we have a former guest of the show, Johnny Firecloud. You might remember he joined us to cover the voodoo fest from 2013 uh, last year. So he wrote in and says uh, the anticipation for this tour closer show was world series level intense doubly so for being in the heart of Wrigleyville as a hundred year curse was about to be broken in their second of two marathon shows. There was no opener, only a heightened sense of finality and ceremony reverberating among the crowd flooded in light under the famed ballparks, epic architecture. This was not Bonnaroo, the disastrously mediocre show from two months prior. This time, not a single lyric was mangled throughout, and the band was a well-nourished beast of precision and explosive intensity on the current of a wild energy that flowed like a tide between the stage and crowd. The unforgettable moments were overwhelming in frequency, flowing like Niagara. I thought my euphoria peaked when singing along with Vedder's acapella snippet of Summertime Rolls by Jane's Addiction. I wholeheartedly agree. We talked about that on that episode. That was like discovering a hidden item in your own video game, something that called back to earlier levels you're still nostalgic about. For so many years, I put that song on when it's just a chill, beautiful day and life is feeling good. It was fucking awesome. Then the band curved into a corduroy that may have been the tightest and most passionate of all the times I've seen it across 56 or 57 shows. The entirety of the stadium got ahead of ourselves in a deafening sing-along of everything has changed, absolutely nothing's changed, to which Ed brought us back with an intensely beautiful call-and-response volley between us and him. 
Then the surging of the earth followed. This monster of an unreleased, tempo-shifting, euphoria-inducing song I can never get enough of. Matt Cameron's galloping, percussive rhythms guided the band through several changes in a churning beast of a track, which, if translated properly in the studio, will undoubtedly anchor any release it arrives on. From traveling 2,000 miles on nearly no sleep to front and center five rows deep, we knew as it unfolded that this show was one of those ultimate peak moments to be reminisced upon for decades down the road. My faith in the best live band on the planet was tarnished by a Bonnaroo set that was inarguably a misstep in the scope of what these boys are best known for, as well as a hostile superfan experience. But the fan community is as colorful and passionately invested as ever, as evidenced by the Wishlist Foundation fundraisers and various peripheral efforts. Sure, aggressive entitlement weaves through many of the superfan tribes, but nine hours of Chicago sunshine on a sidewalk with beautiful, spirited fan club members before the show reminded me that a far higher saturation of heart and passion exists within this network of people than most of us will ever be lucky enough to meet by our own devices. The experience was worth our weight in adventure. It was catharsis on tap, therapy through ecstatic enchantment. And when the show was finished, when the thick atmosphere of electric adrenaline finality dissipated to the cool night air under Wrigley's lights, tens of thousands of fans filtered into the streets with an undiminished, elated energy. In every direction, Pearl Jam was blasting from bars and pizza joints, wide-eyed fans recounting highlights at every turn. For just a few more moments, we were able to ride that enchanting, unforgettable wave. Awesome. Thank you very much. And if... You notice that uh, he used a lot of profound words in there. Johnny Firecloud is uh, part of the Anti-Quiet uh, uh, website and does a lot of good stuff uh, with music reviews and, and uh, things of that nature and has the Anti-Quiet podcast as well. He did a, uh, a little uh, Pearl Jam autobiography of his Pearl Jam uh, fan life. So if, if you haven't checked that out yet, uh, definitely, definitely look into that. That's uh, yeah, a great listen. Thanks for sending that in, Johnny. Absolutely. So I'm going to take the next two and then we're going to get to, I think somewhere in there, it's going to start in 2018. So we're finally down to the more recent years. And again, we're going to have more people that have all of the shows uh, later on in, uh, in all this. So uh, this is from James Small. My wife and I were in Chicago to attend show two and ended up seated next to Mike McCready at Gino's East Pizza. We were in a small seating section on the second D floor, on the second floor with a, about six tables and everyone was there for the show the following day. Somebody finally asked for a picture and it turned into a discussion on the next day's set list, why we wanted to hear certain songs and so on. It was a great time and Mike was amazingly gracious as he was out with family trying to have a normal day. He also signed my shirt I had just bought in the merch tent earlier that day. It was a great time and we really appreciated the opportunity to meet Mike. And he did send us a picture and, uh, well, wouldn't you know, Mike closed his eyes in the picture. So, you know, at, at least at least you know it's Mike. Yeah, that that's fantastic. Like, can you imagine just, yeah, we're just going to go get some pizza and look next to you like, whoa, wait, what? Yeah, right. I mean, chances, chances of that are very low, but again, we talked about how, you know, how much part of the people they like to be and how normal the guys are. They're, you know, not going to hoity toity restaurants to go eat, you know, sushi and, and that stuff. They're just at normal pizza joints, you know? So cool. Yeah. And, that, uh, and like you said, that's, that's super gracious. Like Mike didn't have to do that. He could have said like, you know, no thanks. I'm here. I'm here doing my thing. Like just, 
you know, I'd really like to be left alone. But yeah, they're just so nice people. He can't help himself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you went about it the right way, too, instead of shoving a hundred things in his face and trying to, you know, bother him. Just a quick, quick hello and thank you. And uh, yeah, that absolutely. It's great. Great to see the band uh, out, outside of uh, the stage element. So uh, next story is from Drew Greeb. I attended my second Pearl Jam show ever at Wrigley the summer of 2018. It was a Friday show. One of two that weekend, and me and my brother-in-law flew in from Denver as part of the tent club, and were lucky enough to score GA. We decided that front row for Pearl Jam was the only way to go at a show at Wrigley. We got up around 5.30 a.m., and we were one of the first of the 30 in line for GA at around 6.45 a.m. We camped all day with new Pearl Jam fans we met, watched the Thunderbirds fly overhead, and pre-gamed all afternoon getting ready for the line to start moving into Wrigley. After almost 13 hours in line, we made our way in and we made sure we had row one center of the entire show. Best concert I had ever been to and most likely will be forever. Awesome. Yeah, great. It's always good to to wake up and, and get that experience and... Uh, and uh yeah and get to the front like that that that's fantastic glad you had that experience yeah thanks drew thanks james those are great stories all right uh next up we've got a story here from nikki casper uh she says our pj story started in 1993 when my husband and i first met even flo was playing on our first date i'll never forget singing that song with mike Then the ever-famous traveling Pearl Jam cassette tape he made for me to listen to while I commuted from Indiana University to Millican University to see him. We continued our love of Pearl Jam by hitting every concert we could through the years and were thrilled to be taking our kids to their first Pearl Jam show at Jazz Fest New Orleans. They too were hooked. My son became an avid drummer at the School of Rock and insisted on learning every Pearl Jam song that he could. Then Pearl Jam came to Chicago, one of the top nights we've had. I videotaped Mike singing Even Flow to our son, remembering him singing it back to me in 1993 on our first date. And look at us now, sharing this moment with our son. That would be the last time seeing Pearl Jam as a family, as Mike took his life May 4th, 2019. Heart goes out to you. April 2020, Pearl Jam was doing another tour. I scored tickets in the lottery for the Arizona show, and in my mind it was Mike's way of saying, with his one-year anniversary being in May, Celebrate my life with our favorite band, Pearl Jam. Don't shed a tear of sadness over me. Then COVID hit and the show was postponed. We have tickets for Ohana Fest 2020 and are keeping our fingers crossed that it happens. Well, fortunately, now you have tickets for Ohana Fest 2021 and Pearl Jam will be there. Uh, She also says Pearl Jam songs play constantly at our house with each song holding a special place in our hearts, bringing fond memories back of Mike and their dad. And she goes on, list a couple of songs, Just Breathe, Even Flow, of course, Society, Release, Small Town, Garden, Off He Goes. These all make us stop for a moment and just go back to the memory that is attached to each song. Thank you, Nikki. That, that's powerful stuff. I mean, I've had, I've had my own, dealt with my own loss, you know, talked about it a little bit. I you know, don't usually like to bring it up. But in this case, like, yeah, I definitely feel you and like, you know. Pearl Jam wasn't a thing that that we really shared, but it definitely hits me in a different way now. So I definitely understand what you're going through. And yeah, so sorry about that. That's that's tragic, but you know, you you have these memories and you have this music, and it's it's a way to keep it going. So that that's a great story. Yeah, absolutely. And um, thank you so much for 
sharing, just sh- being able to share it with us because it's it's very important in that situation. People people accept suicide in all different ways, and I think some people tend to run away from it because it's it's just too difficult to fathom. It, it's it brings up too many bad memories and and you know what what could have been and and things like that and um it's challenging for a lot of people i've i have family that um uh, unfortunately i i have had two cousins that have uh that unfortunately committed suicide and it was very very tragic for my family um and you know it's really difficult to talk about my family sure as hell doesn't talk about it at all but um that's the first step is to just celebrate that life and and know that you know when he was with you he might have had some really difficult days he might have had you know uh you don't know what was going on in his head but um the the those kind of moments and reliving pearl jam like that like that celebrate celebrating the moments of his life he knew that he was leaving the legacy for and he knew that he he loved the most so i i really i really appreciate you sharing that story nikki and and my my heart goes out to you and both your children and i i, I wish the best for both of you and anytime uh that we meet up at a show i'm just gonna run up to you and give you a big hug because you absolutely deserve it that was thank you so much again absolutely yeah 100 percent. um okay so uh, we share a story here from Brad Tarkson. Uh, he is uh, a, a, follow of, a follow of ours on Twitter. He's usually pretty active on Twitter with us. My brother had just passed away, so the 82018 show was my first show that I was ready to go to. He's the one that got me into music. Run DMC, SRV, Red Hot Chili Peppers, but most importantly, Pearl Jam. I would break into his room at 12 years old to listen to 10 on a stereo back in 1992. I sat down in my seat. I paid $275 for met awesome people. The show was going to start. And then a huge thunderstorm came in and there was a one hour, one and a half hour rain delay. At that moment, I looked up to this guy and said, you're still fucking with me. No, no one knew why, but if you knew my brother, he loved busting my balls. And if it wasn't for him there, there would be no Pearl Jam for me. And uh, again, you know, tough to to share these stories, but I'm glad that people are um, sharing the memories of of their loved ones and lost ones uh, like this, and and remembering the good moments. So uh, thanks again, Brad, for uh, for sharing that. Definitely, and like that's a reason too. You know, this this music sticks with you. Like it's just a, it just goes to show like how powerful this music is that mm. that people who are going through these tough emotional times like that's something that they latch onto and like you know i've done that as well yeah i definitely get it yeah thank you brad thank you nikki yeah absolutely our next story is from keith fame aka goose as he signed off on his email having only seen pearl jam twice i jumped at a ticket offered to me three days before the saturday 2018 show i booked a flight from birmingham alabama i was a chicago virgin a quick flight from the Bulu line to the airport and somehow found my Airbnb. I can't recall where I ended up having a burger, but it was a great in- introduction to Chicago food. A bus ride and a short walk later, I was in the front of the iconic Wrigley sign and I hit a couple of bars around the area. What a perfect mixture of Chicago and Pearl Jam fans. Perfect atmosphere. Walking into Wrigley was a bit surreal. The ivy walls and the history. And I was there. A few things will forever stand out for me that night. For at least an hour or more before the show, nothing but Chris Cornell was played over the system. 
total show of love and respect. And then Ed brings out a guitar that Tom Petty gave to him. What happened next was pure fucking magical. Ed asked if he can play something from Tom, and then the opening riff to I Won't Back Down. I'm not sure how many people were there that night, but to hear everyone singing in the chorus, absolutely one of the greatest feelings I've ever had in a show. Oh, and the guy who stole home plate, only at Wrigley. Chicago, the parts I experienced of you were absolutely amazing. The people of Chicago, I envy you. Pearl Jam fans, you guys are dedicated beyond anything I've seen. I wish I could have experienced more, but I left Birmingham at 8 a.m. Saturday and was back in my bed 8.30 the next morning. No sleep needed. Thank you everyone I drank a beer with, ate, ate with, and sang along with that night. It's always good to meet new people in different areas, and it's like the Pearl Jam fans are always a, a melting pot of, of, of people, so it, it's good to see all that walk of life. So, yeah. Great yeah, stuff. that's crazy too. Like, just he was there 24 hours, you know? Yeah. What a get trip. It, get on the flight, get to it. That was basically <laughs> Buckley's experience, get back to too. And get back home, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, dedication right there. All right. Up next, we have uh, Wesley Ashley. She says, uh, So, while this is focused on Wrigley Night 1 and Night 2, this all starts in October of 2014 on the Lightning Bolt Tour in Memphis. We. We were there, remember? We talked about that earlier. We had a we did. from someone. Yeah. That's interesting. Funny yeah. how that show has become like a thing. Yeah, that was a great show. Uh, she says, just hear me out. I was in grad school and working full-time teaching. I was up to my eyeballs in research, and Pearl Jam was coming to Memphis. I didn't buy tickets, but told myself I'd reward myself with one if I finished a research project I'd been working on. Two days before the show, I found a ticket for sale on Craigslist and inquired about it. The seller... Dave responded that he was in town from Indiana. He wasn't desperate to sell, and he would prefer to meet first since the one ticket he was selling was directly next to him, and he didn't want to spend the evening with someone screaming, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. Don't yeah, blame him. That would be annoying. So the next day, I agreed to meet him at a local restaurant bar near his hotel and right next to the venue. I knew many of the servers there, so I knew it was safe. He was fantastic, super nice. We talked Pearl Jam, Memphis history, shared about ourselves, etc., and he agreed to sell me the ticket. Yay! So the next night, October 14th, 2014, I had my ticket and waited in a long line to get it. Found my seat right next to Dave and enjoyed the show. Despite being a fan since the mid-90s, this was my first show. His commentary was fantastic. After the show, we said goodbye and went on our way. Fast forward two years. I got a new phone and somehow when I transferred all my information, every number I had ever saved and deleted showed back up, including Pearl Jam Dave, Craigslist. Later that year, Let's Play 2 was showing at my local theater, so I went. The next day, I thought a lot about my first show and Dave and wondered if he too had seen it. So since his number had popped back up, I texted him and reintroduced myself and asked if he'd seen it. Recommended he watch it if he hadn't, etc. He texted back and our Pearl Jam banner continued. During this time, I'd started dating an amazing woman named Brianna. This is important to the story. So, at some point, Pearl Jam announces the home and away shows. I'm a 10-club member and immediately put in for the Chicago Lotteries. My girlfriend, not a Pearl Jam fan, suggested I see if Dave would want to meet me in Chicago if I won the lottery. So I call Dave, ask him to be my 10-club ticket buddy, and invite him to meet us in Chicago. Notices go out, and we won our selections for both nights. Seated for night one, field for night two, and we start planning. At some point, after getting tickets and promising Dave my other ticket... My girlfriend Brianna watches Let's Play 2 with me, and she immediately falls in love with Pearl Jam, like big time. 
She was listening to all their albums, asking questions. It was awesome to see her love something that I enjoy so much. But remember, I've already promised my other ticket to Dave. Brianna says she wants to go to the shows now, but understands that she'll have to sit by herself. So we start trying to find her a ticket. We were able to find her tickets to both nights, by herself, in different sections, but a seat in the house is better than a seat at home, yeah? Yeah. So fast forward to August 2018, we all fly into Chicago and meet up. At this point, I haven't seen Dave in four years, and even then, it was just for the one show in Memphis. He was just as awesome as he was then. We stood in the merch line for three hours before the show, had a few drinks, he met Brianna, they hit it off, and it was wonderful. He later confessed that he had tickets on standby in case I flaked out. It never crossed my mind to do that, ever. But then I also remembered that he didn't really know my character, and I had already told him that my girlfriend was going and sitting alone. I could see where he would have thought I might have backed out of our deal. We all entered the stadium together and agreed to meet back up after the show. Night one was pure magic, every bit of it. The feeling, the smells, the sounds, the venue, the people, the set list, the weather, everything. Night two, Dave and I were to be on the field. Brianna was in a 200 section, so we had different entrances. I had strategically planned my clothing choices since there was a chance of rain and we were in GA on the field, wearing quick-drying shorts with pockets and some shoes that were made for water and have toe protection. Dave and I also planned to wear bright colored shirts to hopefully be easier to spot if we got lost from each other. Something that actually paid off in the end. (laughs) The energy in the stadium is contagious. The energy on the field is even stronger. And we wait and wait and wait. We were about 200 feet off the stage, Mike's side. And then the delay message comes on the screen. There's a cellular jam and none of my texts are going out or coming in. Once we're escorted off the field, Dave and I got separated. I had to use the bathroom and it was almost impossible to move through the crowd. People were trying to stay close to the entrances to the field in hopes of scoring rail when we were permitted to go back. I finally made it to the bathroom and sat on the toilet forever just because it was the only place I could stand without feeling like I would be trampled or crushed. I was starting to get a little worried, honestly. After I left the bathroom, I found a little niche near a concession area. While it was total chaos around me, these kind people kind of took me in and let me stand with them. We chatted for a while, then we were told we had to move. Ugh. That's when I really felt the pressure of the crowd pushing. I found a tall steel support column and stood directly next to it in the opposite direction that the crowd was moving. Luckily, my narrow frame fit right into the recessed portion of the I-beam. If there was a stampede, no way I'd be involved now. After a while, I calmed down, collected myself, and waited. Finally, we were able to enter the field again. I was hesitant at first, but slowly made my way back to the general area we'd been in before, constantly searching for Dave in his bright green shirt. He ended up finding me first, and I swear we had to be in the exact same spot we had been in before, if not the exact spot so close it's scary. The show was intense and amazing, and everything I'd ever wanted it to be, especially memorable, and we were so close I could see every move that Mike made. After the show, we of course went to Murphy's and actually scored a table on the front patio, a perfect ending to our Pearl Jam Chicago Wrigley 2018 experience. Brianna and I eventually got married, and we still talk to Dave about once a month, either via text or on the phone. The one stipulation when we got married, wait for it, Brianna is now my 10 club ticket buddy. For this last tour, Dave and I were supposed to meet up in Nashville, St. Louis, and Oakland, but that clearly didn't happen. We both kept our tickets, so hopefully we can keep this tradition alive in 2021. So while the shows were great, I realize that sometimes it's the company we're with that also contributes to a show being 
100%. Congratulations, Wesley. That's a great. That's a great story. Absolutely. Yeah. You found a found a friend. Yeah, and uh, and you got your wife to to join in on on the PJ Love too. It's it's always great. I, I always said that you know that uh, I had to marry somebody that had to be in on Pearl Jam and at least respect uh, my love for it. And thankfully, my my wife has become a pretty big fan too. So uh, yeah, it's it's always great when uh, when you can kind of you know bring them to the dark side, so to speak. So we kind of didn't expect that uh, this would go that long. I mean, we're, we're near 40 stories, and uh, a lot of these were, were were pretty long stories. You guys had a lot to tell, and we're very thankful for that. But uh, obviously, it, it is time-consuming. And, um, you know, we don't want this to be a three- or four-hour show, which is what it might end up being in, in the long run. So uh, we're going to release now release this as two episodes. So if you didn't hear your story on this one, you're going to hear it on the part two, and that'll probably be out. Uh, maybe we'll release this on, on Tuesday. If this is released on Tuesday, we'll do the night one, uh, night two Wrigley from 2018 on Wednesday, and then uh, on Thursday we'll release this night two. So Wrigley just went into extra innings, you guys, uh, and guess what it was it was you guys that did it you guys pushed one more episode onto this so uh well we keep, kept saying you know we're so sad that that Wrigley's gonna go and and we want to keep this go, going on uh it was it was your spirit that that led us to do that so we we thank you and uh yeah we we got much more now to to cover on this yeah thanks everybody like yeah you know we thought this was gonna be gonna be quick but so many good stories and we want to get to everything and yeah but yeah, definitely come back for that that part two because there's going to be some great stories in that one as well. Absolutely, yep. So uh, thanks for everybody that wrote in on this episode, and I'll try on some of the social media posts. I'll, I'll maybe I'll try to to point out who wrote into what so people aren't confused, and uh, maybe we'll do it that way. But uh, again, if you wrote into us and you didn't hear your story on this episode, it will definitely 100% be on part two. And if it's not, then you can punch me square in the nose. So maybe maybe that's maybe that's more enticing to you guys. But anyway, <laughs> um, all right, we'll say goodbye for now. Tomorrow is going to be the night two 2018 show. We were going to, we are going to have one of our patrons, Alex Turetchin, on as well as heading back to our forum that we did last week with our, our patrons talking about the whole 2018 show. So like you guys did, we'll talk about the rain delay and we'll get some experiences from it like like you guys shared today. So we'll just keep this train moving as we keep rolling that W flag up the flagpole and we're going to we're going to fly it proudly because we are damn proud of what we have accomplished this month and we're very proud that so many of you have uh, shared in what we've done so this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways i miss you already and i miss you always thank you very much everybody to for sending in your story and remember if you didn't get it read today you will definitely get it read on part two coming out on thursday bye everybody see you tomorrow I used to work in Chicago At a convenience store I used to work in Chicago Oh, I did, but I don't anymore A woman walked in with porcelain skin I asked her what she came in for
she's there, and look her out there. Now I don't.